Hey everyone, today we talk with Chris Toomey about Rails, Svelte, Inertia, JS, and banking. Lots of fun in this one. This week's episode is sponsored by ExtraStatic. ExtraStatic is a hosting service for Svekle blogs. Svekle blogs combine the simple conventions of Jekyll with the incredible power of Svelte. Check it out at extrastatic.com. Oi! It's another episode. Svelte Radio. We're back. Woo! Hi, everyone. Woo. Oh, hello. All right. <laughs> Hi. So <laughs> today we have a <laughs> today we have a, another guest, Chris Toomey. Is is that how you pronounce it, Toomey? It is indeed. Yep. Oh, excellent. Perfect. All right. And uh, Chris, why don't you uh, tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Just happy to. Yeah, short short bio. Uh, let's see. I uh, started my career in tech working at a consultancy called Thoughtbot, a wonderful organization that um, helps companies bring products to life and spent a good seven years there, which is a lifetime in tech. Um, but I had wonderful experience getting to work with countless different companies and technologies and frameworks and team structures and company sizes and basically exploring all of the options that are out there and getting to decide a little bit more what I like and what I, I lean towards. Uh, just over a year ago, I uh, moved on from ThoughtBot and went freelance for a little while, uh, sort of taking a pause, trying to figure out what I wanted for my next step. Um, and freelance was a great way to sort of keep the lights on and still stay in contact with folks and stay in contact with tech, but take a little bit of a breather as well. And I was working four day weeks. And that's a lovely thing that uh, hopefully everybody can keep moving towards in the future. Yeah, doesn't sound too shabby. No, no, it was very nice, frankly. But in the background, the direction I, I sort of was going was trying to find something bigger, some project to really uh, sink myself into. In particular, ideally, sort of an early stage startup was vaguely the space that I was looking for. And I happily was able to connect with some founders who uh, they're building a company called Sagewell Financial. And I joined on about seven months ago as the CTO and have been working on that since. And it's uh, it's been a wonderful project so far. We are building banking for seniors and retirees. Uh, and that's a multifaceted, very interesting problem. But uh, thus far, it's been really fantastic and exciting and novel. And um, again, something to really sort of sink myself into and, and embrace the work there. So. Cool. When you build banking applications for retirees, does that mean you have to like support IE? Uh, it does not, actually. So Good. more and more folks are on mobile. And so that's nice. actually more the, the constraint that we have in sort of the technology. And we've opted, we sort of made what is slightly forward-looking of a decision to not support IE at all. Some of that, frankly, is informed by Sean's wonderful reporting on the slow but purposeful <laughs> fading out of IE. I keep watching as you're sharing those throughout the world. And I appreciate the, the diligent reporting that you're doing on that front, Sean. Uh, but yeah, mobile is actually much more the constraint that we're under. So both in terms of responsive design, but then also the different platforms and some latency on the Android side and, you know, which Chrome version are we actually on versus treating Chrome as a true evergreen target, that sort of thing. So so I guess, yeah, the, the, re the real question there is basically, given the demographic, uh, do you find that you have to support things longer? 
Uh, I know my parents don't upgrade their phone very often, for example. Uh, we're seeing a little bit of latency and upgrades, but not as not as much as I might have expected. Not, say, different than any other platform that I've worked on where Android was a core target that we're supporting. So, And frankly, okay. you know, Chrome, Chrome of Android 9 is still sufficient. So we target that as sort of a lowest common denominator, but it's a pretty high lowest common denominator sort of thing. So we have Babel in the process and, you know, we're transpiling as necessary. And so uh, it's not not too much of a constraint, whereas like IE would mean a very different world. So we may not be able yeah. to use Gap and Flexbox, but we can use most of the other things that I would want to use. So Scary. I like Grid and Flexbox too much to not be able to use those. Ooh. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, trade-offs and whatnot, but... Absolutely, yeah. All right, so I guess before we really get into the meat of things, let's let's talk about some exciting news on the on the Svelte front. So we have two new features, or I guess they're not really new. They've just been merged. Uh, I think they've been done for like six months to over a year, just waiting for 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 a, an actual merge. So we we have the new style directive, right? Uh, is that something you guys have been looking at? Have you been excited about it? Not really. Uh, well, we've, we've discussed it on the podcast before. Um, I think it's a yeah. uh, nice complement to the class directive like it's essentially doing the exact same thing um and so it's i think it's a nice to have and i wonder why it was not in there earlier yeah yeah i mean so i i think svelte's a weird one for me because um i never really want for anything in svelte uh what i find is that these new features i i start using them because i know they're there rather than going oh i wish i had this and i could do this thing and so I don't ever yearn, yearn, sorry, yearn, can't pronounce my words anymore, yearn for these features. But uh, now that style is there, I know it's there. I think I'll definitely um, be trying to incorporate it into what I do. Um, uh, the same with const, I think, as well. I've always worked around it by shoving stuff in the in the script block. Not Again, not worked around per se, but, but I've made this mental separation that script block is for kind of dynamic stuff. And, you know, my templates are very pure and they just deal with viewing a state. And I, one of my kind of versions to const a bit is that it pushes a little bit of the a little bit of the kind of program, you know, programming bits as well into the templates, much the same as a weight does, which I'm very against. But I think also the the amount of code it's going to save for some people is huge. So um yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah I so, probably will use them. So the the const thing is another is the other new thing. Um, oh yeah, so that's, you should probably mention it first. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that basically lets you uh, define uh, constants inside of your template. So it's usually for for like if you have a an each block and you're doing some kind of calculation with two different things, and and you want to make it easier to to use it in the in the template, I suppose uh, something like that. I haven't played around with it yet, but it's going to be fun. We'll see. I think for that particular feature, the for const, often I would reach for extracting another component at that point because then you get sort of a new scope that you can yield in whatever that computed value, yeah. that, that new const that you would be defining. So it's a nice to have in my mind. Uh, actually, one of the few things that, in contrast to React, I miss in a Svelte world is the ability to have local extracted components. It's like, I just want a tiny little helper. I want to be able to sort of compartmentalize a tiny bit of mostly markup uh, in most cases. And that's just not available in Svelte. And it was one of those early on, I felt the constraint there more more pointedly. And then eventually I just said, 
this is fine. I'll just extract components when I need them or have bigger template files, which was the thing that I initially resisted and then said, you know what, this maps pretty closely to what the HTML is going to look like, what the DOM is actually going to look like at, in the end. And so uh, I've sort of leaned back on my, I really wish I had local components, local subcomponents. <laughs> I wouldn't hate it if it came along, but it's also, uh, Svelte is wildly uh, complete in terms of the feature set that it provides, given you know how small of a team has worked on it historically and whatnot. I'm so impressed by it. And so like the style directive is neat. It's very cool. I'll probably use it, but it's not world changing. But there's so much that is already in Svelte that, um, you know, to me, these are niceties and enhancements that are coming along. So, yeah. I feel the same way. So let's let's talk then about Sagewell. So you're the CTO, as you mentioned. You're also heavily into Rails, right? Yeah. So is that something you're using at Sagewell? So you're using Rails and Svelte? Yep. Yeah. So it's a Rails backend. Uh, it's a Svelte front end or, or primarily the view layer. And then we're using a technology called Inertia JS, which is uh, an interesting sort of interstitial layer between the client and the server. There's an adapter on the Rails side and an adapter on the client side or the Svelte side. And it sort of marries up the technologies in a really interesting way where to a Rails developer, our server side code looks very familiar. There's we're not building API endpoints and things like that that we might more traditionally in a, in a React application or, or something else built with more client-side smarts. We're just building a Rails app. It's very familiar. Routing's on the Rails side. All of that is happening traditionally on the Rails side. And then on the client side, we're able to leverage Svelte or with Inertia, you can use React or other uh, view rendering layers. But obviously, I'm a big fan of Svelte, so I, I leaned into that. Uh, and so inertia sort of binds together those two pieces really well. Um, but yeah, all of the views, with the exception of a very small handful that are just part of initialized auth sort of things, everything is in Svelte uh, from a view perspective. So I just remembered my thought, and it's about the uh, multiple inline components thing. Mm. I uh, I think it if if you have the ability to do that. I think your your like the size of your files tend to get very large, right? It has the tendency of like ballooning, I guess. Yeah. I think okay. I think the argument I've heard in favor of components inside files, uh, multiple components inside a single file, which just for the record, I I I'm very against. Um, I think I might have even had a, like an unpopular opinion about this once or something, but. I've made myself pretty well known on the on the GitHub issues as well. Um, people have said that, and the only justification for me that I really think would would push me uh, is for prototyping. So if you're trying to rapidly prototype something, it is sometimes nice to show everything in a single file. Um, I still don't think that makes it something we need to enhance. Uh, sorry, expand the Svelte API with, but certainly I can understand that that viewpoint on it. I suppose. Yeah. Well, I mean, the uh, so the RFC for inline components has already been merged. I think maybe yeah. it's maybe it's been. Uh, Wait, what? That's yeah. news. I don't. I, well, not really. I think I think it was merged like more than a year ago, and it's just been sitting there. Oh. No one's been. It's just it kind of waiting for a PR, really. I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Like you know, there's many different opinions, and not everyone agrees. Uh, even yeah, within exactly. the maintainers, if there's enough kind of uh, reasoning for something, then. Why not? Doesn't appear like someone wants to work on it, so I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Microsoft's still safe. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, a uh, bit of a tangent there when we uh, jump back to the to the other topic. So let's let's continue on on the on the Sageful or inertia. I, I want to hear more about inertia and like how it works with Svelte. What is it? Sure. So inertia is an interesting technology that really tries to blend the two sides of you know the more traditional Rails server-based thing. Routing is on the server side. You have these controllers and endpoints and all of that. And then on the client side, we just want views that are slightly more featureful. And so uh, the creator of it, Jonathan Renink, he recognized that he was building a lot of it, Laravel in his case, but Laravel and Rails are very similar sort of server-side frameworks. And he recognized that he was building out his templates, but then he would start to sprinkle in enhancements and little augmentations, and he would start to have certain subtrees in the DOM that he would actually introduce view components, in his case, VUE components. I wish that framework were named different, by the way. I talk about it a lot on a podcast, and it is hard to different view views that are... Anyway, uh, he uses view, and he recognized that more and more he would start and just introduce view at one point, and then it would slowly sort of expand the amount that he wanted to be in that view component such that he could have more dynamic behavior or I've definitely felt the the difficulty of having modal dialogues and having a form that is first on the page and then saying, oh, we actually want to put that in a modal dialogue. Uh, the modals are in React though, but the the form is in Rails and the form helpers and the CSRF tokens and things like that. Like now I have to sort of cross this uncanny valley of those two technologies. And so uh, Jonathan sort of went on an exploration and was like, I, I wonder what I can do here. What can I pull off? And uh, basically what he ended up with is now all view. Uh, all views, the, the things that are shown on the screen are rendered in whatever that client-side technology is. And inertia sort of sits in between the initial request to the server, the first time someone visits your application, they'll get an HTML payload that has the full JavaScript bundle, all of that, and then it will boot up a specific page level component, which is just a named component, and then some props. And then from there, inertia will intercept any clicks on links. So within the Svelte inertia adapter, there's a component, uh, I think it's an inertia link is the name of it, or there's actually a directive that you can use. So if you have an anchor tag, you can say use colon inertia for that directive. And in that case, inertia will intercept the click there and will use an Ajax request to make essentially the same request, but do it with JSON, get back the JSON payload, and then do whatever necessary transformations happen. But Critically, your client-side application stays mounted on the page. So things like imagine you have an audio player and you're navigating around. Well, because your application is stayed mounted on the page, your audio player down at the bottom of the screen can continue playing. Or if you have a list of items on the screen and you delete one of them, again, the server-side code is identical to what a Rails developer would traditionally write. But on the client-side, because the application stays mounted, we can animated delete that item from the screen. We can sort of like fade out with opacity and little nice uh, enhancements and treatments like that. And so for me, I've, I've spent a lot of my career just sort of exploring the different technologies that are out there and leaning very hard into the different API-driven technologies. I spent a lot of time exploring GraphQL, which is still a technology that I love. But uh, fundamentally, I find when I build with an API-first mindset and then a bunch of very smart clients, we get logic that's distributed. So you know, our iOS app needs to know how to do all the stuff. So does our Android app. So does our web app. And... That causes distinctions between the different platforms. It causes complexity. Also, inherently, if you're just sharing out this API and just saying, like, here's a bunch of data, smart client, do what you want with it, 
the clients will end up consuming that data and using it in ways that maybe weren't exactly how you intended it. It's, it's weird that I'm describing these as fundamentally different camps, but often I've experienced that where they're, they're, these are totally different teams, the front end team and the back end team. And from my work, I'm I'm a big believer in uh, holistic product-centric development. So thinking about the end user experience through and through the fact that like this is a client-side rendering technology and then it goes to a, a server and then there's a database, users don't care about those things. They clear that when they click the button, their order gets shipped or you know whatever the particular behavior is. And so inertia, when I found it, was sort of a breath of fresh air in a similar way to Svelte being a breath of fresh air of... I can do the fancier things that have become sort of table stakes in web applications these days, but not have to take on an entire world of complexity in order to do that from a development perspective. Cool. I, I kind of want to see this in action. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's hard to imagine. I don't know uh, some of these technologies, so it's hard to imagine them all coming together. It is. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Inertia, I would say, has an interesting profile where once you get it, it's like, oh, this is pretty simple. And in fact... The initial implementation from the server side is inertia for Laravel, but there's a team that ported it over to Rails, and it was surprisingly little code to do that. And similarly, like the impact on either side, the server or the client side, is quite small. And once you get it, it kind of makes sense. But every time I've tried to explain it to folks, I'm like, all right, just it's it's like normal stuff, but then it's better, and it kind of binds <laughs> everything together, and it does really cool things, and it's sort of like a routing layer, but not it's not like React Router or anything like that, and it is. It's very hard to understand in the abstract, but in the in the specifics, it I think makes itself very obvious very quickly. And then everyone that I've shown it to is like, "Oh, this seems great. I really like this." So I'm I'm sort of an evangelist for that. In addition to Svelte and trying to take that on the road show. Yeah, why not? So you mentioned you mentioned the the complexity of having multiple uh, targets or platforms. I guess um, so. Is this um, is this th this this is probably a reason why you wouldn't be using SvelteKit, right? Uh, this is a reason, yes. Um, although yeah. I'm super intrigued by SvelteKit and particularly some of the the cloud compute and edge computing ideas there. And um, and frankly, with SvelteKit and similar projects like Remix Run, which I'm sort of conceptually lumping together, I'm seeing more of an embrace of uh, we're not just sending down a bundle of JavaScript that runs but gets data from an API that is kind of hand wavy, and we're not talking about the Again, sort of, let's wrap everything up together. Let's think about where does this data come from and how, you know, server-side rendering and all of those sort of things. So I love the direction. Uh, it feels to me like we're sort of correcting back. Correcting sounds like a judgmental term, but I mean, like, we shifted such that all of the logic was on the client side. And personally, I think that was a little too far. And now seeing frameworks like SvelteKit, Remix Run, et cetera, sort of pulling logic back to the server. Next.js is, I think, another great example. And I know that's Next.js and SvelteKit have a lot of conceptual similarities there. Um, so I'm super excited by that. But frankly, I'm a Rails developer. I know how to use Rails. As I was starting a new startup and deciding on the technology, I'm like, I'm going to use the thing that I know quite well that has a background job system that I know I can use, that I can easily send emails from, that like I have an answer to all of those core business domain things. But um, for fun, I would definitely explore SvelteKit. And I think there's really wonderful things. Like, I'm so impressed by the work that's happening there and so happy to see that because I think it's going to push everything in the Svelte community forward in a, in a very meaningful way. I have maybe like an unrelated question, actually, given the about background job systems. In Rails, if you've got a background job system, how do you scale that? Because obviously you don't want all the jobs to run on all the nodes you're running, if that makes sense. 
yes. So typically, the, the background job system is going to be running in an entirely different process. So to a certain degree, you'll be database constrained in terms of any like that. That's probably going to be the main constraint. But cool. typically, the most common background job system in the Rails world is Sidekick. And Sidekick uses Redis as its storage engine. So jobs get serialized, stored in Redis, and then there's a separate process that is running, or frankly, often multiple different processes that are running to process the background jobs. And so you can scale those sort of independently from your web layer that's taking in request response lifecycle, right. all of right, that. Right, right. Um, but that's the typical answer. And there's okay. a handful of different frameworks that have different trade-offs. Uh, and then I know that there's a wonderful new platform out there called Temporal that uh, is doing very interesting <laughs> things. And I got to have a wonderful conversation with those folks about uh, some adventures I ran into with Sidekick and trade-offs inherent to that. And, and frankly, the complexities of async computing. So uh, Sean yeah. can probably talk more about that. But Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, what is Temporal? Uh, yeah, I haven't well, heard about that. Well, oh, you want to go into that? I mean, I, <laughs> I didn't mean to actually take us in that direction because that's a whole other conversation, yeah. and we've talked precious all little I'm about Svelte so far. So, <laughs> all I'll say, all I'll say is, uh, you know, I, um, I've been listening to Chris's podcast, uh, The Bike Shed, and uh, he talks about Svelte, but also he talks about like other sort of concerns with full stack developments. And the background job question came up, and he ran into some fun edge cases with Sidekick. So I actually invited him on with some of my uh, the users in my. Uh, community and so i'll just drop a link for those interested in psychic and temporal and uh, race conditions and background jobs it's good fun you also uh, you make a good point there which is i forgot to mention but i host a podcast called the bike shed <laughs> it's a weekly yeah. podcast about development <laughs> oh, yeah. you forget uh, that. <laughs> it's from thoughtbot my former employer but i've been happy to stay on that podcast where i'm a terrible salesman obviously but uh hopefully a reasonable technologist and speaker about technology um, but yeah I, I love the bike shed that's been one of my favorite things that i've done over the many years and this one i think i've been hosting the bike shed for three and a half something like that maybe four years hard that's to keep track time. times time's a weird thing at this point especially having gone through the pandemic and whatnot but yeah uh, yeah <laughs> so thank you Sean, yeah, so for mentioning that <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna dive into the podcast in a, in a bit as well so you'll have more time to, probably, to sell it it's probably worth mentioning that Sean Sean's actually culling his list of podcasts because he has too many. It's uh, an interesting position to be in, actually. Yeah, I, I did hear that. <laughs> Is that the uh, podcast that you produce or the podcast that you listen to? Because I could see either of those lists being too large for you, Sean. Nice, actually. <laughs> no, 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 listen, listening. Um, you just need to turn it still... up to three X. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's it's a really nice way to like uh, keep tabs on what's happening without using your eyes. Um, I, and I think, you know, we use our we watch we look at the screen so much all day. You want to take your eyes off. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so let's dive into like why you picked Svelte. Um, what what are the what are the trade offs? What are the what are the positives? Um, and so on. Yeah, it's uh, certainly an interesting question. I try to keep an eye on sort of the, the new technologies that are developing and, you know, watching Twitter and Hacker News and things like that. And Svelte's just kept coming up on my radar for a while. And eventually I decided, let me let me just take a look. And there's there's something so interesting about how Svelte sort of presents itself on the internet. The tutorial being REPL driven was something that was so welcoming and so interesting. The fact that so much of communication in the Svelte world is, oh, here's a REPL. Uh, here's here's like live code that you can run. That that that's sort of the such a core communication tool within the Svelte community is something that I really love. And that that immediacy, that obviousness, is sort of 
it seems like a small thing, but I think it's something that sort of naturally falls out of some of the principles and ideas that the the framework sort of exists around. And so the more I explored it, the more I liked it, the more it seemed just like a, a simpler, more concise, more direct way to express the view logic that I, I needed in my applications. And so I sort of kept exploring it, kept looking at it, listened to all of Rich's talks because uh, Rich Harris is a fantastic speaker, fantastic thinker, and I think brings some really interesting ideas. The compiler-centric approach really spoke to me as just like, oh, that seems like a smart way to do this. And then some things fall out of that that are really nice. And so you can see it's not just conceptual high-mindedness, but like very obviously some cool things, some small bundle sizes, et cetera, come out of that. And so sort of kept exploring it. But at the back of my mind, there was always the question of, yeah, but it's it's a smaller community. It's a smaller uh, space to hire developers from, to find community libraries, et cetera. But what's interesting to me is as I was thinking about building various UIs, and there was a, a client that I was working with in my freelance time between ThoughtBot and SageWell, and we wanted to rebuild some pages that had been initially built in React, but in a way that we did not want to replicate. We wanted to replicate the functionality of the UIs, but I wasn't going to just take that React code and put it in a different place. We wanted to sort of rethink it and rebuild it in a more sustainable way. Um, that's not speaking to React. That's just it happened to be that they were built with sort of some assumptions and things that we didn't want to repeat. And so I had an opportunity to sort of go back to the drawing board. I was going to be folding it into a Rails application. And so that gave me a chance to sort of explore the options there. And I'd been looking at inertia a good amount. And with that, if it had been just a question of Svelte, like, are we using Svelte or React? It would probably be the question in my mind. Uh, Vue is, I think, also a great technology, just one that I haven't spent as much time with. But it came down to that question. And if it had just been that question, I probably would have gone with React. But by virtue of bringing in inertia, it sort of shrinks the target of what my view rendering library needs to think about. State management and things like that sort of fall away in a world of inertia. And so the the question, the like how much risk am I taking on is frankly the question was much smaller. Like frankly, if we need to rewrite this view layer in React uh, in the future, that won't be the worst thing in the world. It's not a fundamental re-architecting of this application. So we can take a chance here. And in particular with that organization, this was a handful of different pages, sort of microsites is what they had existed as, but now they were going to be folded back into the core Rails application as just some pages within the, the core domain. And the they were small enough that, again, the risk budget was relatively low, but the longer term was this organization thinking about building out a whole bunch of new web properties. And experience was like, they wanted a really nice experience if they were going to go that direction. And one of the things that's really interesting to me about Svelte is how much is built in. So I talked earlier about the directives and, and just kind of every, all of the technical things that you might want, context and stores and frankly, an amazing amount of stuff. But the other end of the spectrum, the sort of experience side of accessibility being sort of a core concern and built into the compiler, animations being built in and having that just be something that is A, trivial to do and B, doesn't mean bringing in a new you know 500 kilobyte library just to animate one thing across the screen. Like the fact that that is just there and ever present and easy to do was a strong selling point for Svelte as a technology there. And so explored it, tried it out. Uh, it was fantastic. That really gave me a chance to use Svelte uh, in a more serious way than I had before. And at that point, I was hooked. And so when I started SageWell, I had the choice. And I was like, ah, I don't know. And if I got to hire a bunch of people down the road, there's certainly more React developers out there in the world than there are Svelte developers. 
but for similar reasons, because I had sort of constrained where the view rendering layer fits within my stack, it's like, again, the risk budget here, I can tolerate this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a gamble. I think Svelte is worth it from an ease of use uh, and animations and just sort of all of those things that I just listed. It, it felt worth it to me, but it was a conscious choice and, and a bit of a risk, I would say, in terms of you know community size and things like that. Thankfully, Svelte has only gotten more popular in roughly the year since I made that decision. Uh, I've been super happy with basically every direction that Svelte is going in right now with Rich Harris joining Vercel. That's a very exciting uh, change that's coming in the world and just seeing more and more adoption, more people talking about it. Um, so I'm very happy with the choice at this point. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I mean, I've been observing that change for like four, it's nearly four weeks. No, it's, yeah, more like four years now, nearly four years. It's been on a real, a really good tangent, actually. Um, yeah. I had no such constraints around deciding to use felt. I just wanted to. Um, but then as I got more and more involved, I wanted to use more and more. Uh, and obviously then starting a startup in it, it was pretty important, but it was way too late by that point because there's no way of using anything else. And, uh, and yeah, so I think it was a matter of luck. But yeah, it's been a really good thing to watch. So speaking of the uh, hiring people, you mentioned uh, hiring is easier than React, or it's easier to find React developers than Svelte developers. Um, but you can probably retrain them, right? Is that what you did, or did you find Svelte developers? That, uh, yeah, that's a story that's there. great question. So the developers that are working with me on the application right now, both of them have worked in React in the past, but have never touched Svelte. So it was an interesting testing ground for like, hmm, how's this going to go? How much, uh, how much pairing am I going to have to do? Which I love to pair, but like... Ideally, don't have to pair. We just want to yeah. from time to time. <laughs> and frankly, they both ramped up exceedingly quickly. Uh, and one of the things that's interesting to me about that is I think a lot of people, I see more folks call themselves React developers. That is their sort of technical identity. And React even has the sort of um, the nomenclature of like thinking in React was a somewhat famous, I forget if it's a blog post or a tutorial, but it's this idea of like, just take what you're thinking and bring it into React. And at the time when I read that, I remember being like, this is great. And it started to introduce the idea of like components and how to decompose a, a UI hierarchy into components. And there's some really wonderful things in that. But at the end of the day, I find that React sort of this is an overgeneralization, but I find it sort of takes over the thinking, whereas Svelte feels like it meets me where I am. Svelte is a tool that I get to use to implement my UIs as opposed to the framework that I have to think in. And like the fact that React is JavaScript first is an interesting choice. And I remember early on being really excited that that offers some really nice things. We can do all of the JavaScript stuff in our in our views. I have come around to decide that I actually don't like that, and I would much prefer the choice. Like <laughs> HTML is actually the core language of the web. This is one of those Rich Harris things that I was like, when he said it, I was like, oh yeah, that is true, and that <laughs> seems subtle but is impactful. And so the idea that it's HTML first, and like if I find an SVG somewhere, I can just drop that into a Svelte file, do nothing else, and now I have a Svelte component that is an SVG with no changes, no alterations. And that's really nice. And then slowly from there build up, I can add a style block. And that style block looks very much like traditional styles in an HTML file, but has this slight augmentation because we're within the context of Svelte. And then I can add a script block. And again, similar, like it looks like just JavaScript in line within an HTML file, but it has these enhancements and uh, additional ergonomics and all of the things that I would want. And so that 
sort of conceptual grounding, starting from HTML and building up, rather than starting from JavaScript and, and building down, is really meaningful. And when I think about the sort of um, team that I want to build, the team that I want to build is web developers. That's the thing that I believe in. That's part of where I was talking earlier about Remix Run and SeltKit and Next.js. They're starting, I think, to come back to like core web development fundamentals. And I, I think that's really wonderful because the web is a beautiful platform. I believe in it deeply. I'm very happy to be building on it. And so that's, that's how I want to anchor the thinking of the team. And Svelte much more naturally fits that mindset. Whereas React, folks think in React. And I think by necessity, because it is... There's a lot to the framework, and you have to understand how do these concepts map into what exists in React. I I don't feel like that when I'm working with Svelte. Like, I want to render a view. Now I did it. This is great. And I'm done. Yeah. Uh, no, I want to animate <laughs> that part. Cool. Now it's animated. This is great. I'm done. And so yeah. I found that Svelte just really naturally fits that mold. For sure. I think so, it's kind of downstream. I think it's downstream of the philosophy that Svelte is an extension of HTML um, and everything else speech HTML. Yeah. Yeah. What what are the uh, any so when you brought on these developers that are originally React developers what what kind of feedback did they did they give you any feedback about like this is weird or this is good or <laughs> what were you uh, I braced them a little bit for it cuz the, there's inertia and there's um I I think both of them had worked with Tailwind but we're using Tailwind on the the stack as well and then there's Svelte and so I was like there's a bunch of concepts here let me know if you want to talk about them. And frankly, they just kind of ran with all of it. Right. And again, I think that speaks to inertia. Inertia blends two known technologies really well. And so you don't need to deeply understand inertia to use it at first. Eventually, it's useful to sort of understand the protocol and, and what's going on. But for a while, you can just sort of write your Rails stuff like it's Rails stuff and write your your uh, client code, you know, Svelte like it's normal Svelte components and inertia just binds that together. So that was nice that that wasn't a big conceptual hurdle that they needed to get over. And then similarly, Svelte, again, starting from HTML up, it was each time it would get to a more complex thing that we wanted to do, I would pair with one of them just to quickly talk through, like at one point we needed to introduce a modal dialogue and given our uh, our audience being folks that have accessibility as a, a core consider. I mean, broadly accessibility is something we should always care about on the web, but yeah. since we're building a platform for seniors, we wanted all the more so to make sure that that was a core consideration and keyboard navigation and accessibility being one of those facets. So when we were building our modal dialogue, we are like, oh, okay, this will be fun. Let's see how this goes. And frankly, we opened up the headless UI project from the Tailwind Lab uh, folks, and we looked at the React implementation. We were able to sort of reverse engineer, all right, here it's doing a focus trap. So let's go figure out how to do a focus trap in Svelte. And it was trivial. We found a package. It's use colon focus trap. All right, we're done with that one. (laughs) And then, okay, we need an escape handler, but then we need to refocus the button that opened the dialogue after. And again, like that was very direct to express in Svelte. And frankly, even though I was looking at the code, I couldn't do it again in React. I do not know how to write something that complex in React. And I worked with another developer who was new to Svelte, but very knowledgeable in accessibility. And we were able to build an accessible, reusable modal dialogue component pretty quickly in Svelte. And that was for me the sort of like, oh, wow, this is actually going, this is going quite well. That was actually one of my core concerns is just libraries, particularly with an accessibility focus. I don't want to have to rewrite that from the ground up. But I kind of bought that. And so then now we've had to write a few things from the ground up and it's actually been way more straightforward than I would have thought. Yeah, that's great to hear. 
I still have no idea yeah. how to use use effect in React. No idea yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, have to, I mean, I have to agree on that point entirely. That building things for what do you mean? There's a there's a ten page uh, blog post on Danny Bermond's blog that you should read before you use it. I think I've read it a few times. <laughs> it's one of those technology. Like each time, I have to go back to it. I have to relearn it, and it, the abstraction doesn't fit my mind when I'm like, okay, when someone clicks, I need to do X. In Svelte, I can express that pretty directly as when someone clicks, then do X. But in React, and, and I don't mean to sort of cast any negative light on React. React was an absolutely f wonderful technology. And I find the sort of march of progress of the web is an interesting thing where like, I used jQuery for a long time. jQuery was great. And then new things came along that were frankly informed by jQuery in a lot of ways. But I don't, I don't use those things anymore. And like, I remember at one point I was using Backbone, Underscore, and CoffeeScript. And I loved all of those projects. They're all from the same individual. Uh, I forget his name, Jeremy. I'm forgetting his name. But he produced this set of projects that I absolutely loved. And that really informed the web moving forward. But now, like, I would not use CoffeeScript, obviously. It informed what ES6 became and Ashkenaz. all of that. But, right. Yep. Yeah. But... Yeah, so in that sense, React was wonderful. And I was so happy to find React when it came around. But at this point, I look at Svelte and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's just that's a natural evolution of where we wanted to get to, at least in my experience. Cool. Yeah, so so I'm, I'm kind of curious about like making a, an application for seniors. Like, what kind of things do you have to think about that you wouldn't really have to think about in like in general web dev, like you mentioned accessibility, you should always think about it, obviously, but are there other things that you'd like need to focus on, if that makes sense? Um, from a technical perspective, not not in a deep way, at least not that we've found so far. From a product perspective, you know, we're continually finding what's unique to this audience, what do they care about, what's what are the facets of the platform that we want to build out. But that's sort of always true, and it's just, you know, the, the specifics end up being different. In terms of the UI that we're building out or any technical constraints that that applies, it's basically everything dialed up to 11 is how I would describe it. So, like, accessibility always matters, but definitely really matters in this case. Color contrast, font size, making sure if someone zooms in on the page that it doesn't completely, you know, lose itself, that it actually is um, open to being zoomed in because it's definitely going to be zoomed in in our case. Whereas some folks, you know, most applications maybe have 1% of users zooming the page. We will likely have a much higher percentage. So it's a critical consideration as opposed to a thing that we probably should do. And similarly... Just the way that we expose data, we may have a less tech-savvy, less familiar audience. So we want to try and make sure that we're consistent in the paradigms and the interfaces that we're using. So you know, reusable components and things like that really help there. If every time you do a sort of action within the application, it has the same sort of sequential UI, that is useful. And making that sequential UI discoverable and obvious um, those are the sort of things that we're keeping top of mind. But again, those are always the sort of things that I want to have in mind. It's just, again, sort of like dialed up to 11. So yeah. that makes sense. All right. So any uh, any other th stuff you want to talk about around Sagewell or Svelte or Rails in general? Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that we were hiring at Sagewell. Uh, so if any of the technologies or the space or the problem that we're working on is interesting, um, We've just closed a round of funding uh, where it's a very exciting time where we're trying to build a lot and trying to, I think, do something quite meaningful and help uh, 
an audience that has historically been underserved from a, both a like financial and technical perspective, and especially at the intersection of those. Um, so both from a mission perspective and then the actual technology that we're building. Um, I've had a wonderful time here uh, working on it, and I would love to have some more folks join the team. So if any of that is interesting, please do reach out. And I assume we can put some links in the show notes. But Absolutely. I'm at Chris Toomey on Twitter at a minimum. That's that's a way that yep. you can find me or ctoomey.com on the internet. I'm a bunch of places and they all link to each other. So. Yeah, cool. So before we jump on the unpopular opinions and picks, I wanted to talk a bit about the your podcast. So you've been podcasting for a for a bit, I'd say, for a long time. So what do you find uh, is fun about podcasting? What is fun about podcasting? It's interesting the way that I came into it. So the to be clear, the podcast is a Thoughtbot property. So the the consultancy that I worked for previously, uh, this particular podcast, the Bike Shed, is the tech focused one. So developers talking about how to build great software, and I sort of inherited the hosting uh, chair when one of my colleagues who had been hosting it for many years moved on from Thoughtbot. And so when I took it over, it previously had been a show that was hosted by two individuals, and then I became the singular host. And I took that time to actually go on sort of an interview uh, adventure. So I was interviewing some folks from the community, but also a lot of other folks from ThoughtBot and trying to just pull in a lot of different perspectives and ideas. And that was wonderful and really sort of mind expanding and a great way to actually get to know some of my colleagues a little bit better than I had and explore all of the different facets of that world, but also exhausting, if we're being completely honest. Finding yeah. folks to interview, defining the question sets, all of that, as you probably know, it takes a good amount of time. And um, so eventually, about a year into my hosting, uh, I reached out to one of my colleagues, Steph Carey, and Steph joined as the co-host. And I think now it's been a little bit over two years that Steph and I have been co-hosting together. And the shape of that uh, is really fantastic. It's the sort of, we do plan and we you know try and think about things that we're going to say, but it's also, we could show up any given day and just talk about what we've done that week. And I so value getting to, I'll, I'll often bring a question that is very sincere. I'm like, I'm wrestling with this decision. I could either go with X or Y. What do you think, Steph? And then Steph, yeah. who is a fabulously talented developer, thinker, kind human, will just have a great back and forth and conversation about that. And so the shape of it has been really wonderful in that way. And we still do the occasional interview and, and bring other folks on just because we want to keep it fresh and make sure we're bringing in different voices and all of those sort of things. But um, but yeah, so the, yeah. the combination of all of those things has been has been very fun. Yeah. So would you, I, I, would was, you recommend? I was listening. Oh. Uh, I'll, no, I'll just ahead. I'll just sort of pitch in on this. Like, so I was I've been a listener since before you guys were on, and then I was listening when Steph came on. And something I always wondered because you guys have a really good chemistry. Did you do a bunch of auditions? How do you pick a co-host? <laughs> um, I mean, yes and no. Uh, my goal when I started hosting and when it was just me as a host was to talk with a bunch of people just because I thought that was the right thing to sort of this platform. Let's share that with more folks at ThoughtBot because I thought that was an important thing. But secretly in the back of my head, my intention was to find someone to be a co-host. And I still remember the first episode that Steph came on. I think the title of it is what I believe about software. Uh, but it was just this really wonderful deep dive about it was simultaneously very technical and very not technical. It was that the intersection of 
the hard tech problems and the human ideas behind them. And like, should we have tech deck cards in our backlog? And we had this heated discussion about it, heated in a very positive way. And so it was really wonderful and then had her on another time and then eventually uh, invited her to join uh, full time. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's working. That's, cool. that's a, cool. actually can be a great idea for a podcast if one doesn't exist already. Just basically just discussing agile because you could literally go on forever and no one would ever agree with you. And and I love agile, right? I really love it. I love I love what I call agile, basically. But you could literally just you never win. There would never be any conclusion. We've great. done it a few times as a topic, and surprisingly, uh, our listeners are very nice to us. It, we, it's it's more quiet than I would expect, given like we see download numbers. It seems like a bunch of people are listening, and we get some listener questions and feedback coming in. But we don't get, maybe I'm calling it down from, from the heavens now, <laughs> but we don't get much negative feedback. And so although, <laughs> although we do take stances and we, we have a certain set of beliefs about software, and unfortunately, Steph and I are very aligned in what we believe. We have an episode idea in the backlog that has been there for like a year and a half now, which is the disagreements episode. And we are desperately searching for <laughs> some topic that we deeply disagree <laughs> on, or ideally a few of them, so that we can really dig in. But... Uh, because we both you know, worked at ThoughtBot for as long as we did and just share sort of a mindset about how to build development, there is perhaps a uniformity to how we think about it. But then we do come at it from different perspectives and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I would love yeah. to find something that we just wildly disagree on and then we get to get in a hopefully very professional <laughs> and amicable fight on the on the bike shed. But we've yet to do what that. What you need is uh, you need a, a controversial opinion section. Mm. We've even tried that, and we just happen to align on our controversial opinions. So. <laughs> All right, so that's great. What kind of uh, so I'm I'm curious about like your your technical setup. What what kind of tools do you use? As since we're we're a podcast ourselves, right? It'd be fun to to like compare notes. What do you guys use? Um, oh, I don't know. Well, we have wonderful producers that have helped us over the years, so uh, they sent me a microphone. Um, it's a very nice one. I can certainly look it up and put it in the show notes, but it's a great, like, a, it's on a mic stand. We had the option of getting a boom arm, which I think I, I should have gone with the boom arm, if we're being honest, and had it fixed. Because now every time I need to podcast, I have to go get my mic, connect it up, figure out how to get it in there. Um, we use Audio Hijack as the recording software because we're primarily, it's just the two of us. So we have a Skype session and we each record on our individual ends um, with Audio Hijack. So we get the highest fidelity. Um, that said, like we're right now, you folks have me on remotely and it is fantastic. Like this has just been as a guest, this has been a great experience. I just showed up and it sort of walked me through the setup and I've been really enjoying that. But, um, yeah, nothing too fancy beyond that pop filter on the mic. That's an important thing. Um, but that's about it. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, remotely has been great. Um, it's a, it's really nice. It has, I use it for everything. And I also do, uh, I do client meetings with it now rather than use Zoom because I don't I don't like Zoom. Wow. And uh, and they love it too. Like they come on and go, this is really cool. I didn't know this existed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it it is very nice, very underrated. All right. So it's finally time. Unpopular opinions. Anthony, you go first. Yes. So I just I just thought of mine like 10, 10 minutes ago because because right. Basically Wordle is on a co.uk domain. This is, this is very on topic. This is very like hot of the moment. By the time this podcast comes out, I'd probably be over it. They can either <laughs> use a code at UK domain or use US English words. You cannot do both, right? You Ooh. cannot have a, a US spelling of a word and use a code at UK domain. It's, yeah. just, it's just not acceptable. I'm trying to keep 
a good high score here and and this is it really has ruined my day <laughs> so so Can what I? is wordle actually what yeah. is wordle oh wow okay so so i didn't know there's a left hand heard of it <laughs> i'm not down with the kids you know Wow. Well, so Wordle is a game uh, that that actually intrigued me most of all when I heard about it because the the author doesn't want to make it into an app. So it, it's not on the App Store. It's not on Android Store. Uh, it's none of that. It's just a web app. It's very simple. Uh, you have a word uh, that you don't know that consists of five characters, and you have up to six guesses to guess what that word is. Uh, you type your five guesses or your five characters in the first row, and then you hit enter. And when you hit enter, it will tell you one which of the characters are in the right place, uh, two which of the characters are in the word but not in the right place, and they'll be yellow. So the first ones are green, the second ones are yellow, mm. uh, and then the rest of the characters will be grey, which means they're not in the word at all. Uh, so by a process of, uh, I'm not very good at Wordle, right? I can't remember the word. <laughs> elimination. <laughs> elimination, because it's not five letters. No, so the process of elimination, you can basically figure out what that word is uh, as quick as possible. Um, or rather, as few guesses as possible. When you share it, you'll see people sharing it on Twitter and stuff, and it just gives you a series of coloured blocks to not give the game away, because there's only one edition mm. per day. It lasts 24 hours, and then the next day is a new word, and everyone has the same word. So the idea is not to spoil it for anyone else. Um, the American English one was actually yesterday, so I can spoil it now. Uh, it's actually the, the the word was actually vigor, which is V I G E O R, which is completely the wrong spelling. Um, so, so so basically, um, yeah, the, the, the sharing is nice because you can kind of see where people guess and you can kind of figure out what words they might have guessed on the way. It's quite it's quite nice considering how simple it is. It's really really pretty good. Um, so it's a great game, very addictive. I was just going to say, like, really seems to have taken over Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. I see those boxes, like those colored, <laughs> yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But um, yeah, so so that's, I mean, it would also be my pick, but I'm, I'm more enthused about the, the, the American English spelling than I am about the, uh, you know, the game itself, so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My uh, fun learning about Wordle is that uh, the guy who made it, uh, used to work at Reddit, and he created two of the more popular uh, Reddit April Fools uh, games: uh, the button and place. And ah. in particular, place was amazing. Uh, just being a part of it uh, at during Reddit, it was just like a the first time I saw collaborative art with very simple rules, and it was very. I mean, this guy has some something special. Like he he understands how to make games that just go viral and uh, they are simple, but people really enjoy it. I didn't realize that that was the same individual. That is a that is a heck That's of a cool. list of accomplishments, things that they have brought into the world. So he's made nothing from it, but he's, he's entertained millions. Uh, yeah, which is amazing, right? Like uh, how? <laughs> yeah, pretty smart. All right, um, I'll I'll go next. I actually have an unpopular opinion this week. Um, wow! And it's uh, SQL Lite is actually super underrated. I like it a lot. Is it SQLite and, or SQLite? Yeah, yeah, SQLite. I so guess this is, is a pronunciation. Popular? Well, I mean, I, I don't think web developers use it very often. They mostly just default to like a document-based database or MySQL or Postgres, something like that. But they rarely use SQLite, right? And uh, it's it's actually... I I just think it's underrated. It's very easy to use. It's very it's just like a single file, right? 
So you don't need to do the hassle with the like a separate database server or process or whatever. Um, and the the reason I thought about it was, uh, so I saw this Hacker News link about a BBS called ANSI Wave, uh, which is basically using SQLite uh, and the HTTP range requests to fetch specific parts of SQLite databases to display content on, on the web website, which is that is mind mind boggling to me. Like that's super cool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. It's the first. Uh, it was serverless before serverless was a thing, right? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, makes sense. Maybe it's not an unpopular opinion, but it's an opinion. I think it's still fringe. Um, when Expensify IPO'd and it came out that their production database is SQLite, people were giving them a lot of shit. But then <laughs> they, they vlogged for four years about how they're scaling it and you know adding a custom layer on top so that it scales. So essentially, they're building their own database with SQLite, but uh, it's pretty cool. And then uh, I put in a couple of links in the show notes as well for James Long and Fireski on Hacker News, who uh, also had very popular SQLite projects that are streaming. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the idea is that um, if you put SQLite on your service function or your or your edge uh, like CDN node, you don't actually need a database that's running uh, and you can still query it. Yep. Yeah, so so it uses the same thing that the browser is using for file downloads, right? To resume files, for example. But it's just using that to f- to to fetch specific parts of the of the database. Yep. It's pretty neat. Uh, Svelkit should use it, actually. Now, now you're making me think, oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I had this thought as well. <laughs> so I'll tell you why, actually. So um, I uh, tried to build like a partially rendered app with Svelkit. Like, one of the, like, with Svelkit, you know, one of the new capabilities is that you can render on demand rather than um, render everything pre-generated or in the server. Like There's an in-between option where it's from a serverless function. But the content, uh, if it's in within your file system, may not be available to your serverless function at, at the point of rendering. And that's what I ran into. And I was thinking, I just realized that if I had dumped everything to a SQLite database, I could probably read from there. So Svelstore SQLite coming to a <laughs> library near you. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> just, just do it, Sean. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, my my my. I, I tend to borrow unpopular opinions so that I don't have to come up with them. Uh, so mine is from Brian Holt, who is the primary teacher of React on Frontend Masters for like six years running, and he was on a different podcast. Actually, it was it was on the Gremlin. Um, which is like chaos engineering podcast, so like not a front end focused podcast, and he like dropped this like, okay, just just so you guys know, you know, I'm not talking to front end developers here, but I actually don't like React hooks. Uh, so I heard it, and I was like, oh, this is a hot take. So I took it, I clipped it, and I tweeted it out, and uh, then a lot of people Uh-oh. jumped on him. Uh, but he knew he knew that was going to happen, uh, so he's fine. But it's uh, it's pretty cool. Like, I mean, it's not cool. I mean, like I think uh, people are entitled to their opinions, but also uh, it matters when people who are major fans of React um, come out and publicly criticize uh, something that has has been a big move or a big part of React's development over the past three years. I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but I think definitely people feeling some frustration. Uh, I have had a former React core team member. Uh, tell me how they also don't like 
use effect so you're not alone uh <laughs> so yeah i don't know it's it's unpopular for now because react hooks have been very popular makes sense all right uh chris do you, do you have one or do you want to yeah I think, I think i can come up with one i have tons all of right. opinions so one of them's got to be unpopular <laughs> um, let's hear it it is just uh, a note on what you were just saying there, Sean, about React hooks. It's uh, one thing that I will say is observing the React core team and the way that they interact with the community and the way they receive feedback is one thing that I think has been really positive. They are, in my experience, very open to it. Very, you know, it's a dialogue, it's a back and forth, and trying to make sure it remains in a positive place and constructive, um, but not not ending up in just a deeply defensive place, which is um, it's a difficult thing to do when you work this hard on a thing and you put it out in the world. And then, you know, feedback like that starts to come in, which I, I sort of share that feedback. But I, again, I appreciate deeply. And it's a very hard thing to do what they've done of like how they've received it. So interesting to see. And, you know, it's, it's hard to be nice on the internet. It doesn't naturally push us in that direction, it seems so. But for me, unpopular opinion that I would have is the way we talk about ourselves as developers, I think, is really interesting. And in particular, I sort of mentioned this earlier with the idea of React developers often refer to themselves as such, or at least I've, I've seen that more. And my unpopular opinion is that you probably shouldn't do that. I, I think, like, personally, I, I would describe myself as a web developer, sort of the, the, the theme. That's a thing that I feel like will be true 20 years from now. I hope so, frankly. Um, I believe in the web as sort of this foundational layer where the technology happens, but even though I've worked with Rails for nearly the entirety of my career, I wouldn't call myself a Rails developer. Rails informs a lot of what I do. It's what I use to build things most of the time. But if something else that were better came along that helped me build for the web, I would switch to that. Um, and I think when we get stuck in the technology, when we say, like, I'm a React developer, I'm a Rails developer, we're thinking about sort of the technical layers. And again, I'm I'm a big believer in thinking about the end user, thinking about the whole product that we're building, and not just the technical pieces. And so it's there's a lot of different facets to it. But I, uh, a gentle suggestion for folks out there that are open to it of, uh, you don't need to define yourself by the framework that you're using on this given day of the week. That's not a thing that we have to do. You are bigger Agreed. than that. You contain multitudes. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely agree on that. Yeah, I like that. That's not controversial in my book at all. Oh, well, then I did a bad job at having a popular <laughs> opinion. But <laughs> No, I'm sure there are people who disagree absolutely vehemently with you. So uh, no worries on yeah, that front. You'll still just, get hate. So just from looking at like the number of people that define themselves as React developers, for example, right? Yeah. Well, so this is Could something I struggle just... with when, when we promote something as this felt job, because uh, <laughs> that's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, I mean, it's it's uh, to me, it's more about like highlighting that there's actually someone looking for developers that want to work in Svelte. I think that's yeah. because there are a lot of developers <laughs> that want to work with Svelte rather than React or whatever. Maybe that's yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think hiring often ends up being sales, especially given like there are fewer developers in the world than things to be developed. It turns out. And so in in that space, especially early on in the adoption curve for a technology, it can be a selling point. Early on in Rails's history, a Rails job, that sounds incredible. And so it's a way to sort of bring more eyes and more attention to the thing, to the job that you're trying to sell. But like in particular for me, the way I've framed the open positions that we have with Sagewell is I'm looking for web developers. Rails experience, that's great. Inertia for the small handful of you out there that are doing it, that would be awesome. Svelte. 
that's how we're doing the front end. And so if any of those are a hit for you, then that's hopefully something that'll draw you in. But again, anchoring to like, I'm looking for web developers because we are building a thing on the web. Um, that's that's roughly the way I think about it. Yeah, I think that's that absolutely sense. right. I, I was going to say that I think sort of the, the technology choice, the framework choice has become commoditized. So, you know, people are actively looking for React roles, they're looking for Svelte roles, they're looking for Vue roles, whatever. And I don't remember that happening back in the day. I mean, I know that when I was using Groovy, definitely I was looking for Groovy jobs because I wanted to work with Groovy. Um, I wanted to work with, with Grails, basically, which is essentially Rails written on Groovy, you know, back in the day. But beyond that, I don't remember anyone saying to me, oh, you know, I'm looking for a PHP job. They were just looking for like a web dev job, you know. So I wonder if that's a more recent thing or not. Yeah, could be. All right. Let's let's head into into the last segment of the show. Picks. Do you guys uh, have one? I, think it's you I have one. Do. Yeah. So I want to highlight a software called Camo by a company called Reincubate. It's basically a an application that lets you use your iPhone or Android phone as a web camera. So makes it hopefully look a lot better than just your regular run-of-the-mill web camera that most people use. So, uh, yeah, I think it's like I five think bucks or something. This is um, Mac only, isn't it? It's actually on Windows as well. I was looking for it for Linux, but it doesn't yeah. appear to be, be one for Linux yet. So I, I had this exact struggle because I wanted to do that for a while, and I found two. One was called DroidCam, didn't work reliably at all. But there was another one I forgot the name of. Maybe if I pick next week, Irian um, or Iridium or something like that. Might probably. have been that, yeah. But that that worked really well. Um, just had a little thing mm. around Linux. Um, the other thing I didn't like about the first one, DroidCam, is it had uh, you had to install a kernel module which tainted the kernel, which is just crap. So uh, mm. there was a lot of things I didn't like about it. It was like a, it was like a a virtual video for Linux device. It wasn't wasn't very good. But the, the new one, the other one was, was really good. So there are a lot fewer out there. So I so suppose camo for Windows and Mac, but for yep. for us, for our niche, uh, <laughs> less so. Yeah. No, it's 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 uh, it's actually very nice. Like you can cool. apply these cool filters. Like uh, we didn't talk about it on the podcast, but uh, I think Anthony and Chris, you saw me as an orc and at the start of the oh, recording. That's what you were doing. Very fun. Yeah, and I can even put a cat on top of my head if I want to. That's pretty cool. <laughs> nice. <laughs> anyway, I understand that, it all that's now. me. <laughs> uh, well, mine's next. Uh, you so my, yeah, yeah my, my pick is um, Staff Let's Flats. That's S-T-A-T-H. And it's basically a Channel 4 comedy series, which is, you know, it, it's kind of hit and miss. Channel 4 can be... They can produce some really good comedy series. They can produce some absolute rubbish. But essentially, uh, it's about a, a bunch of estate agents, uh, the main one being a half-Greek, half-London uh, young kid. His dad's uh, given him the business. And it's it's literally the funniest thing I think I've ever seen on television, ever. Um, and everyone I've showed it to has, has agreed, which is great. Uh, the three seasons I would watch, bizarrely, I would watch season two first because I think season two is the strongest. Um, you don't need to see season one. It's not like it's not got like this hardcore storyline you're following. It's more about the comedy. Um, but yeah, so it's a really weird concept, uh, really funny. And I was I was watching it on a plane. It was on the on the plane's you know uh, entertainment system where they give you a couple of episodes of something random. 
And so I just watched these two episodes and I didn't want the plane to land and I was literally crying with laughter because it was so funny. And I, I just don't do that. So uh, it has to be something good. So yes, that let's fly. That sounds, sounds like a 10 well. out of 10 show there. Oh, it's 10 out of 10. Absolutely. Nice. Cool. I'm going to check uh, it out. Okay, I'll go. So I've recently moved my note-taking to Obsidian. And Obsidian is a markdown-based uh, two-way linking knowledge management platform. Um, I also have it synced up to my mobile so I can uh, edit my notes easily. And also it syncs to GitHub every few minutes. So people can always see what I'm working on by just uh, subscribing on, onto that GitHub feed. And it's basically my second brain that I, I've been uh, adopting. So uh, I really like it. I've uh, moved around quite a bit from OneNote to the Microsoft One. I forget what, uh, that's OneNote. Uh, there's Simple Note. there's uh, Notion, uh, and I tried a bunch of others, but I eventually landed on Obsidian. So uh, I, I, I like, like it. This seems a bit like the what's what's that one called foam or something like that. Yeah, uh, there's Rome is Rome is the venture backed startup, uh, which is um, yeah they 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 put your your put your notes in like fairly fairly proprietary format, uh, whereas I really wanted to bet on Markdown, so I think Markdown will last longer than me. Oh, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's a different one. We're talking about Rome as in Rome Research R O A M. Yes. Not on yes. R-O-M-E. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Not the JavaScript build tool. <laughs> yeah. Not the JavaScript build tool, which recently <laughs> lost a co-founder, and we can talk about that. But uh, <laughs> and then and then Foam was the one by Yanni Evacalio, which is like the open source clone of Rome. But um, I didn't have that much confidence in it, just because I also wanted a mobile app version. Uh, so Obsidian is the one that uh, seems to be hitting on the right spots for what I look at. So just passing along a recommendation. Cool. All right, last last pick. Do you have one, Chris? Sure. Yeah. Well, on on Obsidian, I've, I've definitely been keeping an eye on that and the space. I'm always weary of the productivity black holes that like I'm not allowed to ever use Emacs. That's just a rule in my world because I know I will just lose years to it, and I don't know that I'll get enough out the other side. But I've consistently wanted some form of note taking tool, and so Obsidian. I keep hearing also people you know saying like I've been searching for a while. Obsidian seems like the best, so uh, appreciate another note in that corner. For me, my recommendation is going to be CleanShot X for Mac. Uh, which is a screenshot tool. Uh, might have been mentioned in the past on this show. I apologize. I'm not a completionist on Svelte Radio. I've listened to many, but not all of the episodes. That, but this is a wonderful fine. tool that I've, <laughs> uh, I've I've certainly heard enough other people mention it, but just does an absolutely fantastic job. Like the built-in screenshotting on Mac systems is fine, but there's just so many nice enhancements that CleanShot brings. It also allows for video recording, annotations where you want to do them and frankly this is one of those things where making that task so much easier means that i'm going to do it that much more and i'm a big believer in like 75 to 80 percent of pull requests i want to have at least a screenshot if not a video recording in that pull request just to make it so much easier for the other developers that are reviewing it to understand the context of the code that i'm changing here and so making that easier uh is hugely important to me and CleanShot is just a wonderful tool that does that uh exceedingly well yeah yeah, I've, I've, I'm used, I'm a big lover as well, like of the of CleanShot. Like when I when I installed my Linux workstation, I was sad because I couldn't use CleanShot. I found like some alternatives, but it's it's so polished, like it's so nice, and it has this this cloud feature as well, right? So you can just copy a link and send it over to someone. That's pretty pretty nice. 
it's okay Definitely. to be sad about not having clean shop when you're happy that you're not on a Mac. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I am on a Mac as well. <laughs> I know. For my laptop. All right. <laughs> okay. I, I think that's us. Um, yeah. Anything else? No. All right. Uh, no, thanks no. for, uh, thanks for coming for back. joining us and sharing some of your time with us. And uh, yeah, thanks so, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. And, and frankly, thank you for continuing to produce this show. It's it's a wonderful show. And it's always nice within a community to have sort of a, a specific place to come and listen and hear about the new things and hear what people are thinking in that community. And, uh, you know, when Rich Harris comes on and talks about the future, but then makes no promises, because that's his mode, uh, like all great stuff. And I, I really <laughs> yeah. appreciate you folks uh, <laughs> maintaining this Cheers. podcast moving forward. So thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Thank All you. right. So Thank to you. all our listeners, uh, we'll uh, see you next uh, next week. And uh, yeah, bye.